Thanks for watching today. Throughout the program, you'll notice this graphic. It's there so you know that we'd love to pray with you. You can give us a call or go online. Also, this is a great way to keep in touch with us. Today, we are starting a new series called Pray First, where we will find out the importance of prayer and fasting. Plus, see what happens when you pray and God puts his hand on the things happening in your life. In today's message, the seventh hand. How many of you want 2017 to be the best year of your life? All right. Well, that, that's what we're going to talk about. All right. Now, Jesus said this. He said, but seek first the kingdom of God in all of these things, all those things that you're wanting and desiring will be added unto you. If we make this year your best year spiritually, it will be the best year of your life. So what we're going to do as a church is we're going to have 21 days of prayer and fasting. Now, I know when, when we start to talk about fasting, um, a lot of people, like they put up a wall. I just want to take that wall down for a moment, all right? And first of all, I would like to say that whoever named it fasting never did it. Because it's not fast, it's slowing. Right? It seems like it, it takes forever, all right, to, 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 to take place. But Jesus actually said in his Sermon on the Mount, he said, when you fast. And later with the disciples, he said, when I'm not here, he said, my disciples. Now, he's not talking about those 12. He's talking about his followers. He said, they will fast. In fact, for the first 1,500 years of Christianity, Christians were expected, and most Christians did, fast every Tuesday and every Thursday for 1,500 years. Just a couple hundred years ago, when John Wesley really began what we call today the, the Methodist Church, you could not be an ordained Methodist minister unless you signed a covenant that you would fast every Tuesday and every Thursday. And uh, over the last 500 years, it's just diminished to where today you look at most Christians and they have never fasted in their life. But let me just give you a few things about fasting. Now, Jesus not only gave us a great example, when, when Jesus began something new, when he was going to begin his ministry, the Bible says that he went into the desert and he fasted for 40 days. Now it says, then Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, right, he returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and he fasted for 40 days. Now he's filled with the Spirit. After the end of those 40 days all right, of fasting, it says he returned in the power of the Spirit. He went in full of the Spirit. But after those 40 days of fasting, it says he came back in the power of the Spirit. In Acts chapter 13, he's talking about the church at Antioch, and it says that there were certain prophets and teachers. The list begins with Barnabas. It ends with Saul. It says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, separate unto me Barnabas and Paul to the work to which I've called them. Now, when, when they were doing this the fasting and seeking God, the Holy Spirit said, it says in Isaiah 58, and by this, Isaiah 58 is the entire chapter that's in the Bible that's dedicated to the subject of fasting. And, and this is what it says. It says, you will be, you receive guidance continually. Guidance continually. You know, when you're going to make a great, a big decision, it's a good idea to really seek God and to fast and pray. Now, let me just say this. Fasting 
and praying go together, right? Fasting without praying is a really bad diet, right? Do Jenny Craig. It's much, much better, right? If you're just thinking, well, this, I'm just going to not eat. No, that's not it. It's fasting it's, and praying. It's seeking God. They were ministering to the Lord and fasting, right? In Joel, it says, God is speaking. He says, turn to me with all your heart with fasting. Now, the Bible tells us in Psalms 35, David is, this is the Psalm of David, and he says, I will humble myself with fasting. Now, we all know the Bible says, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you in due time. Now, how do you humble yourself? Do you go, humble, 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 humble? Is that how you humble yourself? No, David said, I will humble myself with fasting. One of the ways that we humble ourselves before the Lord, in fact, the main way is to be with fasting. Now, when Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration, he has three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John with him. The other nine are left down at the bottom of the mountain. There's a multitude there, and a man comes, and he has an epileptic son, and, and he says to the disciples, please, you know, pray for and deliver my son. And they try, and they are not able. Jesus comes down, delivers the boy, and then the disciples come to Jesus, and they say, why couldn't we cast him out? And, and Jesus said, this kind can come out only by prayer and fasting. By prayer and fasting. There are blessings that we will not receive without prayer and fasting. There's breakthroughs, there's deliverance, there's healing, that the only way it comes is prayer and fasting. When it talks about the rewards of fasting in Isaiah 58, listen to this. He says, isn't this the fast I've chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness. You know, somebody's got habits, addictions, and they need those things broken off their life. The Bible says what fasting does is it breaks those bonds. It undoes heavy burdens. It lets the oppressed go free and breaks every yoke. Now, Jesus, again, as he's talking about fasting in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you don't want to appear to men be, to be fasting, but to your Father who is in secret, that your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, now notice that when you fast, there are rewards that God says are going to take place. Right? Now, to me, the most important of all of the scriptures that deal with the subject of fasting is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27. And here the apostle Paul is writing and he says, I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. Now notice what Paul calls your body. He calls it it. A lot of people, you think you're a body, but you're not. Your body is it. Your body is the house that the real you lives in, right? What we can call it your earth suit. As long as you have a body, you can stay here. You're going to go into outer space, you need a space suit. You're going to stay on earth, you need an earth suit. All right? So I recommend you take good care of it because once you wear it out, you're leaving. All right? And so what Paul calls it, he says, he says, I, the real me, the spirit that lives on the inside. He said, I discipline my body and I bring it your body, the house you live in, into subjection. Least when I have preached to others, I myself could become disqualified. Some translations say become a castaway. So Paul 
He wrote almost half of the New Testament. He saw a vision of Jesus. He went to heaven and came back. And listen, Paul says, if I don't fast and take authority over my body, my body is going to cause me to do stupid. How many of you know if you listen to your body, you are in trouble? Your body is crazy. You say, I'm a Christian. Yeah, but your body is heathen. You are a Christian spirit in a heathen body. All right. Paul is saying, if I listened to my body, he said, I would be in trouble. He said, I would be disqualified. So Paul, he had problems with his body. David was God's best man. He had problems with his. Solomon was God's wisest man. He had lots of problems with his. Samson was God's strongest man, and he had problems with his. Now, I just want to ask a simple question. How many of you think that just maybe you might have some problems with yours? All right. So, so what Paul is saying here is he's saying, now, now look, if you want to have your spirit strong so that it tells your body to shut up, all right? He said, what you need to do is you need to discipline that body in the way that you do it is with fasting. Right? That's how you discipline your body. So, so that you're, you're taking, your, your, your spirit is taking dominion over your body. Now, when, when most, most Christians, when they think about sanctification, now the word sanctification means to be set apart, right? But Christian sanctification is like two Siamese twins, right? We're to be set apart from the world, right? But we're to be set apart to good works. You know, the Bible says that you were saved to good works. Did you know that? And in Ephesians 10, excuse me, 2, verse 10, it says that God has prepared good works for you to do. And he's prepared paths for you to take ahead of time. So we're, we're to be separated from sin, but we're to be sanctified to good works. Right? And we really tend to forget about this a lot, particularly today in modern Western Christianity. So Isaiah 58, that, that fasting chapter that most Christians avoid forever, all right? This is what it says when it talks about what do we need to do when you fast? It says, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring into your house the poor who are outcast when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? So while you're fasting, God's working on you. And he wants you purposefully to do something for the less fortunate, for the poor, for the destitute. Get your eyes off yourself. And then the last part of that verse, I didn't catch it for a long time. <laughs> the last part of that verse threw me, and it says, and don't hide yourself from your own flesh. And I'm like, does that mean like stand in front of the mirror? I mean, what does that mean, right? Okay, this is what it means. How many of you have ever been to a family reunion and there was somebody there that you wish wasn't there? That's the one. It's saying, now look, you, you make sure that in your family, in your close relationships, that there is nobody that you are resenting, that you're holding something against, that you have unforgiveness in your heart against that person. He says, God's saying, you go to that person and you reconcile with that person. You make it right as much as it depends on you. You do everything that you can. 
See, when, when, when we're fasting and we're seeking God, God starts to work on our heart and make sure that our heart is in the right place. Now, here's the thing. When you're not satisfying your flesh, by the way, the number one thing your flesh wants is food. And you're telling your flesh, be quiet. Here's what happens. Your spirit just begins to rise up and you hear God better. Right? You, you begin to hear that voice of God that, that you thought God hadn't been talking, but he's been talking, but you've just been too busy and you've been too full to hear. Right? So Jesus said that every Christian, every disciple of his is supposed to have a time of fasting. Right? Now, it talks about this in Isaiah 58 and in many other places, but it says, isn't this the day that I have chosen? A normal fast was from right before sunset, they would have a meal. And they would not eat until the next day after sunset. It was a 24-hour period, right? That was a normal fast. And during that time, they wouldn't eat food. They would just drink water. Now, if you've got medical issues, you need to see a doctor, right? You need to see a doctor. But listen, most, most people in America do not die from eating too little. We tend to die from eating too much, all right? So a normal fast is a 24-hour period of time. Now, here's what we're asking everybody to do. We're asking everybody to do something. Now, maybe you could do a day a week. Maybe you can skip a meal several times. Or you can do what, the, what is often referred to, it comes from the Bible, is a Daniel fast. Now, in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel is praying and, and he says, this is what I did for 21 days. He said, I, I ate no pleasant bread, no wine, no meat. Right? So he had no sweets, no bread, no meat for 21 days. He took certain things out of his diet, just drank water. So we, we, you're taking certain things out of your diet. and you're, Now, you're, you're taking time and you're seeking God. You're taking some of your finances and you're sowing it to help people that are destitute, people that are hungry, people that are in need that you know about. And what God, Jesus said, he says, your father in heaven, he will reward you. Now, I want to, because this is prayer and fasting, I want to talk to you for a few moments about the prayer portion. Now, Knowledge, in fact, it says in the book of Daniel that in the last days, knowledge will greatly increase. And it really is greatly increasing. Right? So we've got all sorts of knowledge and we have all sorts of skill. All right? You're created in God's image and you can use the knowledge and the strength that you have to do something. But Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Without him, you and I can do nothing of eternal value. We can do nothing of eternal importance. You can use your knowledge and you can use your strength to do things. But for something to happen that is of eternal value and eternal significance, it takes more than your cubit. It takes an extra hand. Right? It takes the hand of God on what you do to make something have eternal value, eternal importance, to, to be significant for all of eternity, it takes more than just what you can do and what I can do. 
Now remember, six is the number of man, right? But the number of God is the number seven. That's why it says that the law of the temple, it's the regular cubit. It's what a man can do representing his knowledge, his strength. But it's more than that. It's what God can do when God puts his hand on something. So we could say it like this. You cannot build the house of God, the work of God, with just human strength, right? You can't just build the church with your hand. But you cannot build a family that's going to have eternal impact with just your strength and your knowledge, right? You have to have God's hand on it. In Psalms 127, it says, unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who build it. And unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It's telling us to not lean on our flesh. Now, we need to use our knowledge and we need to use our ability, all right? But your talent, your giftedness, your, your strength, your smarts, your money is not enough to do something that's going to be eternal. God has to put his hand on it before it has eternal significance, right? Before it's going to change something for eternity. So your work, your effort, your endeavors, plus God's hand. You need the seventh hand to raise teenagers in the 21st century. You need the seventh hand to have a successful marriage in the 21st century, right? And in your business, you need the seventh hand. At your school, you need the seventh hand. In your relationships, you need the seventh hand, right? God's hand on your hand and things change. Giants are slain when God puts his hand on your hand. Deliverances are manifested when God puts his hand on your hand. Success comes when God puts his hand on your hand. Walls fall when God puts his hand on your hand. You know, the number of the Antichrist is 666. It's like man, 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 all right? But listen, when God puts his hand on something, sinners become saints. When you're over your head and you don't know what to do, when God puts his hand on it, there's success, right? When you don't have enough money to pay the bills and God shows up and puts his hand on what you're doing, you have enough, right? You need that extra hand. Every one of us need that extra hand. I remember a song we used to sing as I was growing up in church. It said, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. And, and what we have to realize is that is not an exaggeration. If we want to have, do something of eternal significance, we need God's hand on everything that we do. You know, as Jesus, as he rose from the dead and he's on the road to Emmaus, he's walking and there's two disciples and he begins to talk to them and they don't even recognize Jesus for who he is. And he begins to open the scriptures to him. This is what they said. They said, did not our hearts burn within us? Well, he talked with us on the road. Well, he opened the scripture to us. God put his hand on him. And all of a sudden, the truth of the Bible that had seemed dry just came alive. And they said, our hearts burn on the inside of us. Do you know, every time you read your Bible, you need the hand of God on you. And when his hand's on you, your heart burns within you. It comes alive. We need that seventh hand 
We need it in our marriage. We need it with our kids. We need it in our school, in our friendships, to break bondages, to bless our businesses. We need the seventh hand. Now, the prophet Elijah is often considered the greatest of the prophets of the Old Testament. He, along with Abraham and David and Elijah, they're they're, they're the three bigs of the Old Testament. And God told him, go to the king, this wicked king, and say, there will be no rain and no dew these years until I say so. Well, the king thought, this guy is a wacko. And he took off. That week, no rain, no dew. That month, no rain, no dew. The whole season, no rain, no dew. For a year, no rain, no dew. And finally, the king's like, let's find this guy. And they look, they can't find him. God told him, go hide yourself by the brook cherub. And he says, I've commanded ravens there to feed you every morning and every evening. Now, the Bible says the ravens came with bread and meat. I always thought that was a whopper. And all he lacked was ketchup. It's kind of like he had a Daniel fast going because there was no ketchup going on. But finally, the brook dries up. And, and, And by the way, sometimes what we think is this. We think that if God's in something, that that thing is always going to last forever. All right? But you know what? God sent him to the brook, and that brook dried up in the drought. But God had another plan, right? And he said, I want you to go to Seraphath, and I've commanded a widow woman there to provide for you. And you know the story. He arrives in Zarephath, and there's a widow. She's gathering a few sticks. And, and he said, would you bring me a little water? And she said, yes. And, and he said, and while you're at it, make me a little cake. And she said, you don't understand. She says, I'm gathering a couple of sticks, and I've got a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour in a bin. He says, I'm going to make a little cake for myself and a little cake for my son, and we are going to eat them, and we're going to die. And he said, fear not. Go make me that little cake and bring it here, and I'll eat it first. Now, by the way, if an investigative reporter had been there, that prophet would have been smeared from one end (laughs) of the country to the next, all right? But the Bible says she went and did according to the word of the Lord. And she ate, her son ate, and the prophet ate. And that flour never ceased to be in the bin. And that cruise of oil just kept on pouring until the Lord sent rain on the earth. But the day finally came, God said, go show yourself to the king. And so he shows himself to the king and he said, we need to have a contest. Bring all the people to Mount Carmel. Bring all the prophets of Baal to Mount Carmel. They make an altar, put a sacrifice on it, and they pray and ask Baal for fire. And I will make an altar, put a sacrifice on it, and I'll ask God for fire. And the God who answers by fire, he's the Lord. So they have the contest. Baal never shows up. Elijah prays. Fire falls from heaven. They take the 450 prophets of Baal. They kill him. And the prophet goes up on the top of the mountain. Now, there hasn't been rain or dew in three and a half years. And he told Ahab, he said, you better get ready to go. Get ready in your chariot. And it says that what he did is he went up on the top of Mount Carmel. We're going to be in this very spot in about two months. And he cast himself down on the earth and he put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up and look towards the sea. So he went up to the top of the hill, the mountain. And he looked, there was nothing. And the prophet said, go again seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, behold, 
there arises a little cloud out of the sea, like a man's hand. And he said, go up, say to Heb, prepare your chariot and get down, that the rain stop you not. And the Bible says in the meantime, the sky turns black. There's thunder, there's lightning, there's rain that pours and pours and pours and pours. But here's what he did. He climbed up on the top of that mountain and he prayed seven times until he saw a cloud that looked like the man's hand coming out. Let me tell you something. If you will pray and you will keep praying and you will keep praying and you will keep praying, the seventh hand will show up. The hand that you need for your family, for your teenagers, for your marriage, for your business, you know, the hand that you need to break that hopelessness and that depression and that addiction, if you will keep praying and keep praying and keep praying, the hand, the seventh hand will show up. All of your efforts and my, all of my efforts can never produce what the seventh hand can produce. It can bring the supernatural. It can change natural things by the, by the supernatural. It can take addictions that you've had in your life for decades and break them just like that. And I want to encourage every one of us, do something, right? Do something during this, this 21 days of prayer and fasting. For some of you, it might be, well, I'm going to fast one day a week. For some of you, it's going to be, I'll, I'll do a meal twice a week. For some of you, you'll, you'll say, I'm going to do that Daniel fast thing. I'm going to not eat meat and sugar and coffee and I'm going to make, I'm going to seek God. Remember, it's not just what you're not doing, it's what you're doing, right? There, there, there's the part where we're saying no to the flesh, but at the same time, we are seeking God with all of our heart. Get it in your Bible. Pray, pray, pray. And the seventh hand is going to show up in your life and in your family. If you're watching today and you know in your heart you're not where you should be with God, you're away from the Lord, or you've never receive the Lord. And you say, I want to be forgiven. I want to be right with God. I want to come back to God. I want to invite you to bow your head to pray this prayer. Pray from your heart and just make these words your own. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm going to live for him every day. And I thank you. You've heard my prayer that I'm forgiven, that I'm your child today and forever in Jesus' name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Dwayne, we'd love to get you a copy of his book, Your New Life. He wrote this book to help you continue on your journey to take the next steps in your walk with God. You can go to walkingbyfaith.tv and download it absolutely free. While online, you can purchase a copy of today's message, The Seventh Hand, in the WBF store. If this ministry is feeding you and blessing you spiritually, please consider becoming a partner with us. You can go to walkingbyfaith.tv slash give and click on the giving option that is right for you. We'll see you next time.